good to have uh, Jean at the front. Jean and I worked together on the youth board a good while ago. It's good to hear her voice again, and you're very welcome with us, Jean. I want to take you back even further than that, though. Today, <clears throat> while I was at Union College, way back in 1982, one afternoon I went into town with my good friend Golty, and um, I don't know what we did in town. It wasn't that memorable, but the way home was. On the way home, Gulty decided to pull in outside <clears throat> the Opera House box office. And uh, maybe nothing wrong with that, you think? For a rocker like myself, I'm nervous already. But there were posters all around for the pantomime and things like that. So when Gulty came out of the box office and stuck a couple of tickets into the glove compartment of the car, I <clears throat> didn't think any less of him. However, as he'd been in the box office, I'd looked up outside, and just above the pantomime stuff, there were three words that I hold as probably the most frightening words I could have thought of at the time, the Winnipeg Ballet Company. <laughs> I'd been pondering just how horrendous that would be. And we started driving up towards Union College again, and I said to Gulty, are you taking the girlfriend's... Uh, nephew and niece to the pantomime and he said no 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 and we kept driving he was kind of a bit hedgy at this point he just wasn't telling me the truth I felt he was holding something back so like the friend I am I put my hand into the glove compartment pulled out the tickets and there were those words again tragically written across the front the Winnipeg Ballet Company I'm trying to be humorous as we got literally I can tell you where I was on the road Literally, as we come off at Shaftesbury Square and we're just starting off on Botanic Avenue, I said to him, I mean, is there not a football match you could go to that night? And when I'd got to match halfway through the sentence, I realized, check the dates, and that indeed was going to be the night where Northern Ireland were going to play West Germany at Windsor Park. He pulled the car back onto the road again and said, well, she wants to go. The night came. Now he tells me, and I could be wrong, and the evidence this morning suggests I might be wrong, that there was another person around the time who was going as well, who might be Desi Alexander. Desi had no recollection of that at the start of the service. But he says to me, I think Desi's trying to get out of the ballet too. <laughs> I'm glad Anne's not here this morning. So anyway, the night came and of course we went off to Windsor Park for our humiliation and Galtney on the way to the ballet said ah sure you'll get beat 5 or 6 nil," and we said well at least we'll see 5 or 6 goals well for those who are too young and those who are not interested that night at Windsor Park somebody called Ian Stewart after about 20 minutes pulled in from the left wing and hit a ball with his right foot which we didn't know he had and buried a goal in the bottom corner at Windsor Park to put Northern Ireland 1-0 up against West Germany, who had just been in the final of the World Cup uh, that very year. We hung on, we clung on, we were on the spying cup as it was, and we were literally, people were saying, punch me, punch me, tell me I'm not dreaming. And at the end of that match, where we beat West Germany at Windsor Park, there is this little group from Union College waving flags and singing heartily, Gulty's at the ballet, Gulty's at the ballet. <laughs> And I often think, maybe in another 25 years, Christmas morning will come, Galtie's grandson will get a football annual, 
He'll come running down the stairs excitedly and say, Granda, Granda, it says here that Northern Ireland beat West Germany. Granda, were you at that match, Granda? (laughs) And he'll have to say, with shame and with the dignity of a grandfather in tatters, I was at the ballet with your granny. (laughs) David, I want you to hold that thought in your mind. But he loved her. And so he decided he loved her so much that he would sacrifice history and the West Germany match to take her to the ballet. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And when we come to this passage today and we see not out of the blue as when I read through it the first time, I thought, that's really interesting that that greatest commandment thing would be right there in the middle of Mark, just at the end of all the controversy we've had. We realize that this is the last question that Jesus has asked in this try to catch him out. That this seems to be the most important question that he's asked in the trying to catch him out. What is the greatest commandment? And when Jesus answers with an orthodoxy, because the Jews in those days the Shema, the listen, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, love the Lord. That would have started and ended their synagogue worship. It would have been the mantra that they supposedly lived by. Jesus shows to these Pharisees and Sadducees and all the other religious leaders that are trying to catch him out a certain orthodoxy. And then he adds that other line. Some have said that it was added recently around the time of Jesus, but that Jesus is the only person who it seems has put these together, or this is a pioneering moment when Jesus put these these two things together. When he puts Deuteronomy 6 and 4 with Leviticus 19 and says, and love your neighbor as yourself, then suddenly that changed the dynamic. And it's why it's the climax of the questions that he's being asked. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, John chapter 14. If you love me. It seems that Jesus changes the dynamic of duty and religiosity and legalism into something more living, organic, spiritual, in this relationship of love between us and God and us and our neighbor. And of course, he was speaking to the Orthodox. They would have believed in the Shema. They would have also known, no doubt, Leviticus chapter 19. But when Jesus puts them together here, he speaks into the status quo of that time. And actually, when you start to think of some of the other things Jesus did, these verses almost become a commentary to them. Think of the Good Samaritan parable. There's the guy who's been beaten up. He's lying at the side of the road. The priests and the Levites come past. The religious people, the Orthodox come past. They want to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So they're trying to get to Jerusalem without becoming unclean or without being distracted by somebody who's been beaten up at the side of the road because they're trying to be Orthodox Jews. And that's all right until Jesus puts the double whammy in. Because this is not just about orthodoxy and love of God. 
love of God is revealed and shown in how we love one another. And these Jews who believed the temple and believed the sacrificial systems and the law of the Jews was going to be what they needed to put their trust in were being told, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. You're almost there. But when you distract yourself from the people that God loves around you to just focus on him and stick on focusing on him, you don't keep the two most precious commandments and in fact you can't love God without loving neighbor in fact if we go to that place in Leviticus 19 where neighbor is mentioned it's preceded with quite a few verses about what we should do to our neighbor when you reap the harvest of your land do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest now I don't know how I could tell my father not to uh, mow the lawn just to the edges because he gets those shears out and my it's like scissors it's meticulous yes my father and I very different characters he's meticulous and look at the state of me there's questions need to be asked and then in other places there's no questions need to be asked at all but anyway they were told not to be too fussy dare I say not to be too protestant about sorting out the edges of the farm Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by name and so profane profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor. Or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's a commentary. This is how we look after all of our neighbors, from the poor to the wealthy, from the lowly to the great. And in some ways, what we find here in this loving God and loving our neighbor almost as a ricochet, where you love God and it bounces back off so that we would love one another. It's where I find some of my struggle with the modern worship movement, where many times there seems to be a cul-de-sac of praise going up to God but nothing about how when praise goes up to God, something happens that pushes us out to one another. When we come to God and we give God his worship, it seems to me in the scriptures that something happens that talks about when we do that, we're about his kingdom. We're about his business. We're about the things that he's about. And if we have worship that are a cul-de-sac on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, then we need to change it for worship that gives us a highway out into Monday morning. Where we find theology, where we find challenge, where we find the Bible worshipping God and giving us a bigger vision of what we're to do in the community around us. And maybe it's why unionist politicians can't be magnanimous with the people of Derry. Because they're trying to be sound and orthodox. 
and they've forgotten that to be sound and orthodox and right with God in your theology or your creeds or your liturgy are no good unless we love our neighbor or as Brent has been praying, we love our enemies too. I happened to put just a, a little thing up on my Facebook, I thought, about how disappointed I was with some of the reaction of unionist politicians. And um, it went a bit crazy. And there was a big debate immediately started on Facebook about uh, the Savile report and inquiry. And I suddenly began to therefore have to think, why is it that we find some of our unionist leaders who actually are worshipping in churches this morning, hearing the scriptures and worshipping God in hymns, not able to do this? Uh, this kind of have to be um, a little bit hostile to the fact that maybe there's been some truth. And I started to think about what Whitney talked about last Sunday night. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. And at last for me, I thought, at last we are admitting our problem, our part of the trouble. At last we're confessing Confession is good for the soul. It's good for the nation. At last, we are willing to admit that this was a two-way street, these troubles. And yet some can't. They can't because they want to see a face, which is not what evangelical Christianity is about. Evangelical Christianity is about saying, we are sinners, we got it wrong, we need salvation. But also there's something in the debate that went on on my Facebook that kind of said, well, we're not going to admit it until they admit it. Which again is a non-biblical concept. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus said on the cross. It's not about me making sure that they come along at the same speed as I come along. It's about me making sure that I put myself right and that the only relationship I have with my neighbor is to put their lives as right as I can possibly make it. It's not about making sure that it's even-handed from my point of view, though even-handed will bring peace about in the end. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So we're called, I think, in this for... Three ways to love. The neighbor that we find in Leviticus. Big things. Economic things. Political things. Justice things. We're called to love, I think, in Northern Ireland very clearly. If we don't see that in Northern Ireland, where we've been contextualized as believers, that one of the most important parts of that is to be involved in reconciliation, I don't know where we are. That's where we've been placed. That's one of the crises and issues of our generation in our space. And we've got to love our enemies in the midst of that. That's where we've got to love neighbor and enemy. And then there's the minutiae of just the everyday. The everyday, do we love self? Or do we love God and neighbor before self? Now, we've got to love self because we love our neighbors as ourselves. And I think psychologically that's very, very important. And we've got to come to terms with some of that. And I think the gospel does come to terms with some of that in that it tells us, as I was able to tell the children, that we are loved, that we are special, that we are human, 
that we are redeemed, that we are heirs and joint heirs. But we've got to not use that so that we so love ourselves that we don't see our neighbor. Cafe fish. Highly recommended. But make sure you have a wee bit of shopping to do in Marks and Spencer's and maybe a wee walk around Extra Vision because it takes forever to get that fish. But when you get it, well worth the wait. But trying to park around it at seven or six o'clock on a Friday or Saturday night is full of a lot of people that love themselves. The yellow lines and the double yellow lines, you've heard me on it before. They just ignore them. Now what they're doing there is not just taking a handy wee stop so that I can get my fish supper quick. Because when I drove past and went into a car park and parked about half a mile away, I'd sew that place in the double yellow lines. But I decided the double yellow lines were there for some reason. And when I come back out of the car park and somebody's parked in the double yellow lines and nobody can get into the, that part of the world or out of that part of the world and the whole of the Lisburn Road stopped, I suddenly realized the double yellow lines are not there to spoil our fun. They're there to make sure that traffic can move. And once we stop loving God with all our hearts and our neighbor as ourselves, we will be those who will stop the traffic because we're just going to do whatever we want to do because why should I care about my neighbor? These are big commands. And they're also the minutiae of commands. But here's another thing. And I want to finish with this. Here's another thing. Loving your neighbor as yourself is not just not doing any harm to your neighbor. You know, we have that opinion at times. We love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we do nobody any harm. In fact, how many homes have I been in? None of yours, can I say? No, seriously, nobody has said this in Fitzroy yet. Oh, my word. Um... But they certainly did when I was in Antrim quite a, quite a lot of the time. They would say to me, Ah, my son, he's not going to church, but as long as he does nobody any harm. It's not what loving your neighbors about doing nobody any harm. There's an intensity of self-sacrifice that we find in the Gospels and that we're leading to now in this story of Jesus that actually says that loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself is committing your life to the good of your God and to the good of your neighbor. For those who have been following my South Africa blog every day, I mentioned this week three women on the township of Gugaletu. Yvonne, Priscilla, and Nancy. Yvonne, you go into her little brick house, which would probably fit onto the stage here without the steps, and you will find that she's over the course. No, no, not Yvonne. Yvonne, let me get these women right. Not that you would need to know that, but just for my own storytelling. Yvonne works in the church. She works long hours in the church. But when she goes home from the church, she has taken in all the AIDS orphan kids from around the streets. When she gets the day off on Saturday, she doesn't take her day off to the coast. What she does is she gives her time to giving those children who have no mother, a bit like we've heard this morning, that they've given, uh, they need a mother psychologically in their lives, and so she'll take them to the park, or she'll take them around the streets, or she'll spend time with them. 24-7 discipleship motherhood is what Yvonne has committed to. Priscilla, she had a child in the township who had spina bifida, really bad spina bifida. 
And so she looked for help for the uh, situation she was in and found none. So she decided, if there's no help, I'll be the help. And when you walk into her little room, which might have a little extension that would take you to a wheel of coffee right now, you will find 14 children in cots every day with Priscilla looking after them. Sometimes they're just lying looking at the ceiling. Other times they're out getting the therapy that they get during the day. Some of them are able to cling to you when you walk into the room. And Priscilla, with her own child who is spina bifida, has taken in 14 other kids from that community. She's not getting a wage from the community. She's not getting paid by the council. She's doing it because she wants to love the children who are like her own daughter. Nancy took on twins when her, uh, well, she wanted to adopt one child, she told me, and they brought her twins. And she thought, I can never deal with twins. And now she's got about 10 or 12 that live in this little house right beside Priscilla, trying to be a mother for the street. These are not women who said, I'm not going to do anybody in this community any harm. They are people who said, I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. And Priscilla is the perfect example. As herself, she wanted somebody to look after her child. So she loves the other children the way she wanted somebody to look after hers and hers as well. 24-7. And I appreciate it. I do appreciate it. And we are tired. For sure we're tired. And I love it when you say to me, you need to take a break. I'm going to take you up on it sometime soon. But the truth of the matter is, people in most of the world don't have the opportunity to say, you know what you need as a couple of weeks in the sun. Because in most of the world, it's not even a possibility to go to the leisure center for an hour because it's 24-7 looking after their neighbor. And here we are with orthodoxy and theology and liturgy. May we not be those who love in a cul-de-sac. May we be those who break through into Monday morning and serve our neighbors the way God loves our neighbors and wants us to help our neighbors be put right. Let's pray. Lord, if we want to live and experience the heart of the kingdom, then here is the secret to love you with everything we've got and love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, it's not easy. So we ask for your help. In Christ's name, amen.